Okay, so we've come as far, if you remember, we've had a few weeks off our studies of Genesis, but now we're really into the life of Joseph. Uh, this is as far as we've got. And the first thing we're going to see as we jump in straight into chapter 39 now is the faithfulness of Joseph. We've, we've seen a little bit of glimpse of his early life at home, the dreams that he had, the way that upset his brethren, and even caused a little bit of concern to Jacob, not really fully understanding why Joseph was having these dreams, and furthermore, why he was sharing them with his brothers. Um, but nevertheless, God was working through this situation. Of course, we've seen the brothers sell Joseph to the Midianite traders who have taken him down to Egypt, and Jacob now believes that his son Joseph is dead. And is in mourning, uh, and a period of mourning that goes on for some time for Jacob, because he loved Joseph. Joseph was the firstborn son of Rachel, his wife. You remember we have Rachel and Leah and that, that contention between them. But Joseph, that firstborn of the, the wife he truly loved, the wife he wanted uh, from the start. And so when he finds out that Joseph is dead, at least as far as he's aware, obviously he's absolutely distraught. Um, and then you can just imagine the, the hardness and the difficult situations at home as the brother starts to question probably in their own minds and hearts you know, whether they did the right thing and should they have done it and seeing the, the, the effect it had on their father. Sometimes we don't realize the effect that our sin has on other people. We often think that what we do can be just as they try to do with Joseph in the first place, but buried in a hole, put away. You know, or, or taken off somewhere else and nobody else will get to see it. Um, unfortunately, that's not the way sin works. Um, sin has a much further uh, reach than often we anticipate uh, or certainly we could ever plan for. So we read then in verse 1 of chapter 39, And Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. So this individual, Potiphar, some very wealthy individual, we understand from the context, um, we read in verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph and he was a prosperous man and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. So as a result of Joseph's love to, for God and Joseph's faithfulness, the Lord allows Joseph to prosper in this environment. And what a great testament it is when any believer in the workplace trusts God, serves God, and the employer sees that faithfulness and directly attributes that to the relationship that the employee has with God. You know, a lot of Christians sometimes in the workplace will try and shy away from sharing their faith. They'll not want to talk about it or they'll feel that maybe it's going to be awkward or contentious so they try and avoid those kind of conversations. Well, you know, we are to be lights wherever we've been placed. You know, employment... All those kind of things. Um, you know, it, it's of the Lord. The Lord can direct our steps. Uh, the steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord, we're told in Psalm 37. So we just need to realize that it's not about our ingenuity, our skill, or what exams we've passed. If we are believers, the Lord will direct our paths. And when the Lord puts us into situations, he hasn't put us there to be kind of a, a silent witness. You know, He's put us there so that we can make a noise. Because there's always people around us that need to hear the gospel. And we need to be aware that God will want to use us and does want to use us in each and every circumstance. And we need to be bold and be strong. And as we've been reminded again last week and again this morning, the battle is the Lord's. The Lord just wants us to step out in faith. He'll do the rest. But we've got to take those, those steps of faith and, and just bring those kind of conversations to, to godly themes and make people think. So... Joseph then, in this situation, just 17 years of age, 
And incredible that, that he has the faith that he does at this age already. Um, and it's a testimony, actually, a credit to, to Jacob, because we've, we've said a lot of negative things about Jacob, you know, the things that he's done wrong. But to bring, brought this son up at just 17, that Joseph has this love for God. Clearly, there's been teaching in the family. There's been instruction that Jacob has talked about the God of Abraham and Isaac, his fathers. And Jacob must have told him about God being the one true God, the, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the one to whom we've got to give account. Because Joseph understands all these things, and they come out and you see it as we go on. And again, the Lord was with Joseph. You know, if the Lord's on your side, then there's always the majority standing with you. And again, this is the, the backdrop to all that's going to follow from this point, that God was with Joseph. And notice, I mean, Psalm 119, we, we studied this about a year or so ago, Psalm 119, and I'm still uh, going through trying to f- finalizing and tidying the notes up. Eventually, I'm trying to put it into some sort of book format, the study notes for that. Uh, but I've been going through it again recently, and, and you see there, just the opening of Psalm 119, blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. You know, it's a conditional blessing. The blessing is there, and God wants to give it to us, but we have to walk in the law of the Lord. We've got to be undefiled. But if we are, if that's the way we're living our lives before God, well, God wants to pour his blessing upon us. Verse 3, And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. Again, what a great testimony, because Polyphar's not looking and thinking, well, Joseph's a really valuable employee. He's very skilled and everything else. He says, no, he saw that the Lord was with him. He recognizes that God is doing something. There's something clearly about the way Joseph conducts himself that shows Potiphar and those around him that this isn't just Joseph being a good model employee. There's something way more going on here, that he's doing it because he has reasons and principles that are beyond the workplace. And Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him, and Potiphar, we're told, made him overseer over his house. This this young 17-year-old boy that's brought into this environment you're brought as a slave effectively to start with, now he's put in charge of the house of Potiphar, one of the most powerful individuals in Egypt. And we're told that all that he had, he put into his hand. Again, this is God just blessing and prospering. Now, of course, we know the end of the story. We realize where God was going with this, but Joseph didn't know that at the time. Joseph still had to be faithful. Joseph was faced with many challenges, and we're going to see this comes straight in a moment, that it wasn't an easy road. Sometimes we look at these characters in the Bible and and think almost it must have been easy for them or that they did it because the circumstance led to this. But, you know, it was just like we are. Joseph got up every morning. Probably some days he got up and didn't feel like going to work and maybe had a headache certain days and, you know, suffered from the same physical ailments that we all do. But he trusted God. Whatever the circumstance, whatever the day brought. There's a great lesson that we see in Second Chronicles chapter 15. And we read there, The Spirit of God came upon Azariah the son of Oded, and he went out to meet Asa. And he said unto him, Hear you me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you be with him. Interesting statement, isn't it? The prophet of the Lord comes to this king and says, The Lord is with you while you be with him. And if you seek him, he will be found of you. But then notice the flip side of that. If you forsake him, 
He will forsake you. Now, the New Testament makes it very clear that God is not mocked. Psalm 66 verse 18 reminds us that if we regard iniquity in our hearts, the Lord will not hear. We can't just presume God's blessing because we're Christians. Of course, salvation, that's different. Salvation we've been assured of and guaranteed of. It's not based on our ability. It's purely based upon the completed work of Christ. No question. We can't earn our salvation. We can't do anything to contribute. But the blessings that we experience, the journey we have through life, well, that will all be about whether we choose to walk with God or not. And as God says here to this king, the Lord is with you while you be with him, but don't be fooled because if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Matthew 5, 16 says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. This isn't a, a suggestion for Christians. This is a command. Let your light so shine before men. So let's ask ourselves the questions. As we go into this coming week, how are we going to do this? How are we going to be obedient to this command? To let our light shine before men? Well, the first thing we've got to resolve in our hearts is not to shy away from the truth of the gospel. Not to try and be different when we're around the people of the world. And then we've got to be praying. Because if we step out without that armor, and Sarah's already shared with us what a great example of God prompting that need for the armor so that we can step out and be ready. But, you know, we don't know what we're going to face as we go through the day. That's why we need to be constantly reminded of our need for the armor of God. We don't just step out and go and see what the Lord's going to do. You know, we need to start the day in prayer. Yeah, I I was really encouraged by by what Bill said this morning. There's a lovely honesty in, in what Bill shared. And the truth is, we are all in that kind of position so often, aren't we? I mean, who here can honestly say that you don't struggle to pray? That you don't struggle to read God's word? You know, we, we may even have a regular quiet time every day, and I, and I hope you do. I hope you find time. But that's not easy either, because there's always something that will happen. And even if you get into the habit of doing it, sometimes it could just become repetition. And then you kind of know better off than you were before anyway. No, it's not easy. But this is why we need to continually surround ourselves with godly things. Godly influences in our lives. This is why fellowship together is so important. That we encourage each other. You know, and there's nothing wrong going up to someone else in the fellowship and saying, look, can you, can you pray with, for me? Or pray with me even, but, but pray for me. I'm just struggling to, to find the time to pray. I'm just struggling finding the time to read the Bible. You know, we shouldn't go, really? Come on, we're all there, aren't we? And we all know the truth. We all know that if we find that time to read God's word, to pray, well, then we're so much better equipped for what we're going to face during the day. And when we come into these situations, we can let our light shine before men. Let's make a, a determined effort this week just to really seek God. And just see what he does as we go through. Looking for opportunities just to let our light shine. That they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. First Timothy 6, one says, Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor. That the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. What a great 
lesson, teaching, instruction for any of us who are in employment in any way whatsoever. Because Joseph here, being such a great example, letting his light shine. Not ashamed to, to tell Potiphar what he believes about his God, about the God of Abraham and Isaac and of his father Jacob. He must have done because we, we read effectively Potiphar's own testimony that he saw that the Lord was with him. He must have known about the Lord, not because of things he'd learned in Egypt. He must have learned that from Joseph. And I doubt if Joseph had just told Potiphar, that's something that must have been spoken of in the, the courts of Potiphar, in his household. But again, this instruction from Timothy or from Paul to Timothy, you know, for those of us who are in employment, those of us servants under the, the yoke, as it were, count our own masters worthy of all honour. Show respect. Not, not because necessarily they deserve respect, because a lot of bosses and employers these days don't reserve, deserve respect. They don't earn it. That's not the point. We're doing this for God. Let everything we do be as unto the Lord. And again, we're doing it that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. We've got a higher authority that we're answering to. And it came to pass from that time... And then he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand. And he knew all that he had save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well favoured. That's the Bible's way of saying that Joseph was a good looking young man. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife... Mrs. Potiphar cast her eyes upon Joseph. And she said, lie with me. Now, I just want to just correct possibly our, our misunderstanding because maybe it's just me and forgive me if it is, but I, I've always kind of growing up had this idea that, that Mrs. Potiphar was like some kind of uh, aging Joan Collins, that Joseph as a young man is looking at her thinking, no, I don't really fancy, thank you very much. The truth is, that in Egypt, they didn't live that long. They had quite a, a short life expectancy about this time. Typically, 40 years, if you live 40 years in Egypt at this time, you were old. Do you remember when we get a little bit later on, you may have read in the text, that Pharaoh is amazed when he finds out how old Jacob is. He can't quite believe it. No, the lifespan in Egypt was, was quite short. So don't, don't think of some unattractive lady later in life at this point we're, we're talking about some beautiful young woman and she would have been because of Potiphar's position coming up to Joseph and not propositioning him in a way that he really wasn't interested in but in a very seductive tempting way and look at verse 8 but he refused I mean, I've always found this incredible and a great testimony to the way we should all be when faced with temptation. He doesn't entertain it. He doesn't think about it. He doesn't go away and think, well, nobody's going to know. You see, one of the things that's already happened here is that Joseph has already nailed his colors to the mast, hasn't he? He's already said to the whole household, I believe in God. The God that created everything. I'm accountable to him. This is the God that created in the beginning one man and one woman. And intended that they would be together for life. 
So Joseph's already made all this kind of stuff clear in his testimony by the way he's lived his life and the things that he said. That's a really good thing to do, by the way, because actually if you go and nail your colours to the mask, particularly in the workplace, it kind of heads off problems maybe later down the road. One of the things I've always been very keen to do in my employment in work situations, if I'm talking to another woman in a work environment, I will always bring in joy and the children. Always. I'll always talk about my wife, even if it's kind of a, a kind of a, a jokey kind of uh, uh, conversation, you know, about all the jobs that Joy's got for me when I get home to do, or, or something, you know, whatever. But I'll bring her into the conversation. I always talk about the children. I make it very, very clear that I'm married. Why? Well, because what would happen if all of a sudden some attractive young woman were to come into our workplace? And maybe one day at the end of the day and everyone else has gone and I'm still there working and she happens to still be there. She came up and made advances towards me. I'm flattering myself, I know. I'm way past that kind of stuff. But, you, you know, the fact is, because I've known my colours to the mask already, I've already said I'm off limits. Joseph had done just that. We need to do that. We need to make it so clear. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master... What is not what is with me in the house, and has committed all that he hath into my hand. There is none greater in the house than I, neither has he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. <laughs> Emphasizing the point there, I think. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Well, there you go. That's the heart of Joseph here. Now, Joseph's not saying, well, actually, I don't find you very attractive, but thanks anyway. Joseph's heart is all about God. And his primary concern is his relationship to God. It's not about whether anybody else would see or what anybody else would know about this. It's about God. Proverbs chapter 2, picking up verse 10, reads, When wisdom enters into your heart and knowledge is pleasant unto thy soul, discretion shall preserve thee, understanding shall keep thee. In verse 16, he goes on and says, To deliver thee from the strange woman, even from the stranger which flatters with her words, which forsakes the guide of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house inclines unto death, and her paths unto the dead. None that go unto her return again, neither take they hold of the paths of life. Verse 23 carries on, For the commandment is a lamp, and the law is light. And reproofs of instruction are the way of life. To keep thee from the evil woman, from the flattery of the tongue of a strange woman. Lust not after her beauty in thine heart. Neither let her take thee with her eyelids. For by means of a whorish woman, a man is brought to a piece of bread. And the adulteress will hunt for the precious life. Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can one go upon hot coals and his feet not be burned? So he that goeth into his neighbor's wife, whosoever toucheth her shall not be innocent. You know, we find in Scripture an example of incredible distraction. This is something actually used in the School of Ministry recently as we were looking at the life of David. David, one evening, of course, just goes for an evening walk. He hadn't planned to commit adultery he hadn't set out with intention to see if he could 
find somebody to look at. He hadn't planned to, to kill someone or lie. Any of these things. That was not in his heart. He'd just gone out for a, for a stroll. Hebrews 12, 1 reminds us that we must always keep in mind that it's sin that so easily ensnares us. That word easily is so important because it does easily ensnare us. Satan is brilliant at finding ways to trip us up. He'll always appeal to the flesh life. Always appeal to some need or some longing or whatever. And he's actually appealing to things that God has given us. See, the, the desire for sex is godly. It's not of the world. But it must be in a godly context. Just as every other physical desire that we have. It's all been placed there by God. But it's how we go about satisfying those desires. It's about how we, or whether we obey God's rule and boundaries. You see, again, just to highlight, temptation itself is not the problem. Joseph couldn't have stopped himself being tempted in this situation. It's what we do with it. You see, David had no intention, as I said, of, of going and, and looking at Bathsheba before he set out that evening. But suddenly he's faced with this attractive woman taking a bath. And it's what happens then that's the problem? Oh, it could have been so easy for David just to look away at that point. To look away, to go back into the house to pick up his guitar and praise God again. To write another psalm. Well, he did end up writing another psalm on the back of this. is Psalm 51. But it's a psalm of sadness. It's a psalm of him pleading with God to not take his Holy Spirit from him. Verse 3 tells us of that passage in 2 Samuel 11. And David sent and inquired after the woman. That's the problem. But what is a real contrast here between David and between Joseph, of course. You know, and there is always that temptation. Did God really say, I wonder if? Curiosity has killed far more than just cats. Job. 31 verse 1, the New King, New King James is translated like this, I've made a covenant with my eyes, why then should I look upon a young woman? Job realized the danger. Job realized that the looking lustfully upon a woman, or spin it around for a woman looking lustfully upon a man, because it doesn't just go one way. It's dangerous. It can destroy our souls. Sadly, we live in a world that is so given over to, to the lust of the flesh. Again, you might not be able to help the first look. But Job was saying, I can control that second look. And the reason we control that second look is because of our relationship with God. Again, in Job 31 verses 9 through 12, we read, If my heart has been enticed by a woman, it goes on, verse 11, Yes, it will be iniquity deserving of judgment, for that will be a fire that consumes to destruction and would root out all my increase. Check the destination before buying the ticket. Look where it's going to lead you. Look what the result would be. Uh, no good will ever come out of it. James 
4 verses 7 and 8 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. This morning, as it happened, in my devotional um, by another Calvary pastor, I'll just read this to you. What a great word of encouragement from James. The word submit here simply means to obey. So obey God. It is how this great exhortation begins. Next, we are told to resist the devil. Too often we see this as some sort of passive resistance, similar to just not doing what the devil tempts us to. But that's not the meaning at all. The Greek word for resist is anthistemi, and it means to stand against or to oppose. It is not passive at all, but active and an offensive position, opposing the devil. The word for flee means to shun. We can understand the clear meaning then if we think of the verses, Obey God, actively oppose the devil and he will shun you. I remind you again that the Christian life is a battleground, not a campground. We are at war with principalities and powers and the Christian life is not to be spent in a foxhole, but in putting the enemy on the run by obeying the commands of God. Obedience keeps us usable and powerful. And that is why James opened this short exhortation with a great reminder to obey God. Disobedience, on the other hand, weakens us and makes us vulnerable to enemy fire. But when we obey God by the power of the Spirit and actively resist the enemy, he will shun us or run away from us. It's also important to remember that the enemy does not really run away from us but from God in us. That is why unregenerate people are simply pawns in the enemy's hands and subject to his will. There is nothing in them to hinder the enemy's advances. As a result, they are powerless against his devices. It's impossible to obey God without first being indwelt by God, the Holy Spirit. And when we are indwelt by God, we are then able to resist the devil, to fight back, and even cause him to run away from us goes on and says if there's one area i would single out as a major failure in the church today i believe it would be the impression that we are just here on earth trying to survive this life rather than engaging in active spiritual warfare that's happened to be the, the one for this morning kind of appropriate i think there's a song by Casting Crown, some of you are familiar with it, I'm sure, called Slow Fade. I think once before we played it, but I just want to read you the words again because it's so applicable given this situation. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. It's the second glance that ties your hand as darkness pulls the strings. Be careful, little feet, where you go, for it's the little feet behind you that are sure to follow. It's a slow fade when you give yourself away. It's a slow fade when black and white have turned to grey. Thoughts invade, choices are made, a price will be paid when you give yourself away. People never crumble in a day. It's a slow fade. It's a slow fade. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. When flattery leads to compromise, the end is always near. Be careful, little lips, what you say. For empty words and promises lead broken hearts astray it's a slow fade when you give yourself away it's a slow fade when black and white have turned to gray thoughts invade choices are made a price will be paid when you give yourself away people 
never crumble in a day. The journey from your mind to your hands is shorter than your thinking. Be careful if you think you stand. You just might be sinking. It's a slow fade when you give yourself away. It's a slow fade when black and white have turned to grey. Thoughts invade. Choices are made. A price will be paid when you give yourself away. People never crumble in a day. Daddies never crumble in a day. And families never crumble in a day. When I send the email out tonight, I'll put the link to that song uh, on YouTube if you want to watch it. It's a very powerful video uh, that goes with that song that just helps to drive it home. Verse 10 of Genesis 39, And it came to pass as she spoke to Joseph day by day. Doesn't let up, does it? You know, temptation doesn't just go away from us because we resist it once. The devil doesn't just go, oh, well, that's okay, I was resisted today. I mean, the idea that the devil will shun you, as we were just looking at it a moment ago. Well, the devil hates losing. So he comes back. And this is now, in a sense, a war of attrition. Who's going to give in first? She spoke to Joseph day by day. This beautiful, young, attractive Egyptian woman. Just subtly suggesting to Joseph that maybe they could be just a little more than friends. And again, we're told that day by day, he hearkened not unto her. Every day. Now, what would have happened one day if Joseph had woken up and maybe got up a bit late and thought, well, I won't pray this morning. I won't think about God. And that one day had gone out a little unprepared. What would have happened if, if maybe somebody had upset Joseph the, the day before and he was just in one of those kind of moods that sometimes we get in and we're just kind of angry with the world. And you kind of just feel like you want to throw caution to the wind and then suddenly this beautiful young lady comes up and says, Hey Joseph, you look sad. Why don't you come around later and have a coffee? You see, we, we always have to be on our guard. We always have to be ready for that sin that so easily ensnares us. So every day she comes to him. Every day Joseph's ready. No is the answer. He hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. That's interesting, isn't it? He doesn't even put himself in that position where it could lead to something else. He doesn't just say, I won't lie with you. Or to be with her. Now, maybe the context is implying more of a relationship than just simply being in the room. But I think it could well be here that Joseph simply saying, I want to be with you on my own. And it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business and there was none of the men of the house there within. Now, would Joseph have even gone if he'd have known that's the case? I don't know. But we're told that she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. He runs away. Well, that, that's what we need to do when faced with temptation, whatever sort of temptation is. Colossians 3, 2-3 says, Set your affection on things above and not on things on the earth. You see, just as an aside here, you know, to bring this up into our kind of modern culture and modern times, if Joseph had woken up and thought, well, a bit busy to, to read the Bible this morning, so I'll just kind of head out for the day and then driving to Potiphar's office to his house, decides he's going to just put on the radio because oh, I haven't changed the worship CD for a few weeks. It's the same old one. I, I won't listen to that. 
suddenly he's in that place where there's a lot of worldly influence and stepping into this environment. On the flip side of that, and Joseph gets up in the morning, spends some time with the Lord. He's praying, meditating, thinking about something that the Lord spoke to him directly out of his word that morning. Musing, thinking in his mind. And then on his way to work that morning, listening to worship music, just praising God. And suddenly faced with the horror of sin and the world, he's like, no thank you. You see the contrast, you see the difference. And we can put ourselves in those positions by simply not focusing on the things of God. Or, conversely, we can avoid those kind of problems if we set our affection on the things above. Remember what Paul says here. We, we, we see a lot of this in the book of Romans. But he says, For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. You know, we're not out there chasing our own desires and dreams and goals anymore. What is our desire and goal as a, a Christian? To be sanctified, to be set apart for Him. Why? Well, because it's just so much better. It's a life of blessing. Again, refer back to Psalm 119. Is that, that, that life of double blessing. The blessings that were reserved for the, the firstborn of a family. God showers upon us. But every man, we're told in James 1, 14 and 15, is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust has conceived. Notice where it starts. Lust conceives. That's where it started with David. The moment David looked at Bathsheba... And didn't look away, there was a little seed planted. Joseph didn't allow that seed to be planted. Because notice, when lust is conceived, just something very small, almost innocuous, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. It starts a chain reaction that you cannot stop. Don't think that you can harness or control sin, that you can go so far and then stop it because you can't. That's why we have to be so careful who we spend our time with. We have to be so careful what influences we allow in our lives. We have to be so careful what we watch on TV and particularly on the internet. Again, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. It is every thought that we need to take captive. Run every thought before the Lord. Everything we're going to do, run it by the Lord first. Matthew 12 says that a good man out of the good treasure of the heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. With that in mind, just think back to the situation back in the the garden. And I've asked this question before. Some of you know where I'm going with this already. But how much of the fruit did Eve need to eat of before she'd sinned? Did you have to eat the whole of the fruit? It wasn't an apple, by the way. Did you have to eat the whole of the fruit? Half? Maybe, maybe it was just one bite. Maybe that was the, the point that it all went wrong. Well, maybe it was as she plucked the fruit from the tree. No. It started way before that. It started the moment in her heart. 
that thought was conceived. Planted there, of course, by the devil, she allowed it to take root. Wonder if. And before she'd even moved her arm, she'd rebelled against God. What happened was just the outworking, just as we see. Desire conceived brings forth sin, sin when it's full grown brings forth death. That's just the outworking. The, 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 the next step, of course, was that she did take the fruit, she plucked it off the tree and then she ate it. But that was, the, that was after the horse had bolted, so to speak. One of the most beautiful few lines in Scripture is found in the book of Daniel, chapter 1, verse 8. Another young man, somewhere between 14 and 17 years old, has left home, gone to university, effectively in Babylon, few other friends around him but nobody really that, that knew much of his past nobody that cared about his past surrounded by loads of other people indulging themselves in all sorts of things what a great opportunity for a young man to just do what he wanted to do no accountability being encouraged to do it by the powers that be but we read this in daniel 1 verse 8 but daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. I just love that Daniel purposed in his heart. The decision was made in Daniel's heart. Just as the decision was made in Eve's heart for the wrong thing, so Daniel, for the right thing, purposes in his heart that he will not allow himself to be defiled. doesn't matter what is presented to him. Because his relationship with God is more important. Daniel and Joseph, incidentally, are the only two people other than Jesus in Scripture of whom no sin is attributed. There's no sin mentioned of them. It doesn't mean they're sinless, but they become a great example of Christ. Let's uh, run to the end of this chapter. Just a few more verses. And it came to pass when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and was fled forth. Then she called unto the men of the house. And spoke unto them and said, See, he has brought in a Hebrew unto us to mock us. He came in unto me to lie with me, and I cried with a loud voice. And I I don't know, we're not told in the context here, but I I kind of just get the picture that she's not just holding up a a garment, that she's probably fairly scantily clad at this point. Because she's saying, look what's happened. They all believe her. Of course, they believe the lie that she spins. And it came to pass that when he heard it, I lifted up my voice and cried. He left his garment with me, fled, and got him out. And she laid up his garment by her until his Lord came home. And she spoke unto him according to these words, saying, The Hebrew servant which thou has brought... You know the way we always kind of try and blast blame to other people? She says, your fault this has happened. Of course, she's trying to exonerate herself in this. The Hebrew servant which thou brought unto us came unto me to mock me. And it came to pass, as I lifted up my voice and cried, that he left his garment with me and fled out. And it came to pass, when his master heard these words of his wife, which she spoke unto him, saying, After this manner did thy servant to me, that he was, his wrath was kindled. I mean, this, this servant that's been faithful in every regard. But Potiphar believes his wife's report. Maybe because she was beautiful. Maybe because Joseph was a handsome young man. The whole thing seems so plausible as presented to him here. 
and he's furious. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison. And notice this isn't just the regular jail, but this is a place where the king's prisoners were bound. And he was there in the prison. Joseph, no doubt wondering what was going to happen next. Verse 21 says, Just as we saw at the beginning, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Let's just back up a second, because at the beginning of this, before Joseph really kind of rises to fame in Potiphar's house, we're told that the Lord was with him. And here again, we're told the Lord was with him. Totally different circumstances, wouldn't you agree? One going into a, a season of what seemed just prosperity and blessing and almost everything that he could have wanted was given to him. He's put in charge. Now, in prison. Everything taken away from him. But the Lord was with him. The Lord was with him before. The Lord was with him now. Just as Paul says, you know, we've got to learn in whatever circumstances we are to be content. Because the battle is the Lord's. How easy it would have been for Joseph at this point to kind of give up, to doubt God, to question God. Oh, yeah, we're all happy, aren't we, to, to follow God and to try and wake up and read our Bibles when things are going well and to pray and to fellowship when things are good, when our life's full of blessing. It's very different when that's not the case. And yet God doesn't abandon us. The Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. So just as had happened before, the Lord now working in this situation. Do you realize that so much hinges on this moment? I mean, firstly on Joseph resisting that temptation. But at this point, the rest of the Old Testament hinges. Because if Joseph gives up at this point and rejects God and says, look what you've done for me, then we don't see eventually Joseph seeking God's wisdom to interpret the dreams of the butler and the baker that will come in. That will lead then to Joseph coming out of prison and serving Pharaoh. That will lead to the whole situation with putting aside the food for the famine, which then leads to the brothers and the families coming down, saving the lives of his brethren. That leads to Israel becoming a nation and then coming out of Egypt under the the hand of Moses and then into the promised land by Joshua and eventually to the monarchy and the kingdom and ultimately to Bethlehem. It's so easy to not appreciate the part we play in God's plan. Uh, And don't look at this and think, well, yeah, but that was Joseph. It's not like that for me. You don't know how important you are in God's plan. Uh, Joseph had no idea at this point how important he was in God's plan of redemption for the whole world. The battle is the Lord's. If things are going really well, the battle is the Lord's. We still have to trust him and not get carried away. But if things are not going so well, well, the battle is still the Lord's. Uh, again, I love and I've shared many times, I think this quote from Oswald Chambers, where he says, If God is the God we know him to be when we are nearest to him, what an impertinent worry is. I love that. Think of of those times when you're really close to God. 
That's who God is. Well, praise God that in this circumstance, Joseph doesn't see God as anything other than still his God that is able to save and deliver. We're told again that the, the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison, and whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of him. And the keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand because the Lord was with him. And that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. Again, the Lord's starting to bless Joseph. And, and uh, even in this, there's this understanding that Joseph realizes that God has engineered this. Every situation we face is an opportunity to glorify him. Another quote of Oswald Chambers. He says that God reckons on us for extreme service with no complaining on our part and no explanation on his part. Oswald goes on and says that God wants to use us as he used his own son. And Jesus was faithful. Faithful to death. Let's bow our hearts. Father, we thank you for this time this morning. Lord, just the opportunity to meet together, to fellowship, to grow together. But Lord, thank you particularly for your word. Thank you that your word is so applicable to our own lives in each and every circumstance we find ourselves in. And Lord, this reminder today that, Lord, you want to use us. And Lord, you may not always explain what you're doing. But Lord, you've called us to be obedient to you. Lord, you've called us to be lights in this world. So Father, please help us. We need your grace. Lord, we do struggle. Help us, Lord, to, to read your word every day. Help us, Lord, to find time to pray. Lord, whether it be in our beds before we get out in the morning or whether it's on our journeys to where we're going for that day or just through the day, Lord, help us to pray. Stir our hearts by your spirit, we pray. And Lord, help us to resist temptation. Not because of the instructions, Lord, in your words tell us that tell us to resist temptation, but Lord, simply because we love you. Lord, may we be like Daniel and purpose in our hearts, not to be defiled. Lord, may it not be a case of us not choosing the things of the world, but Lord, simply a case of us choosing you first. That you become so important to us, so special, Lord, and precious that we don't want the things of the world. Lord, give us a desire and a hunger for holiness, we ask. And then, Lord, do a mighty work in us and through us for your glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.